0: Hello, and welcome to the Cass Health Podcast, the show where we hope to connect our community with healthcare information that's relatable, understandable, and useful to your life, and where you get to know better the neighbors providing your care here. I'm your host, Anne McCurdy, and today I'm joined by... Kat Neiman. And in today's episode, we're talking about Kids ENT Month with our guest, Dr. Rick Reinhardt. And before we get started, two quick disclaimers. First, the comments in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cass Health. Second, the information in this podcast is not intended to be construed as personal medical advice. Always consult your primary care provider with your questions and concerns regarding your health. So to get started, welcome Dr. Reinhardt.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We really appreciate you making time today to come chat with us about Kids ENT Month. and. Uh, to start off, we'd just like to start easy with some get-to-know-you questions. So these are just some rapid-fire questions. So we get to know the man, right. Dr. Reinhardt.
1: I'll do my best.
0: All right. So where are you from?
1: I am from, presently I'm from Clive, but uh, I was born in Ames, Iowa. And I'm a uh, born and raised Iowa kid. So all my education here. And now I'm in Atlantic. Oh, I'm not living here, but spending my time here.
0: Excellent. And we're happy to have you. And favorite sports team?
1: Oh, I wanted Packers-Chiefs, but uh, I made it through the Super Bowl yesterday, um, and uh, I don't really have a favorite team, but I grew up being a Packers fan, so but anymore, I really just want a competitive game, which we had yesterday, so that was, yeah. that was fun. It
0: was a good game. It was good, but from Ames, not a, not a big Cyclone fan?
1: Well, you know, I was born there, um, and so I would say, you know, I was for a while, but then I did my medical school and my residency in Iowa City. So I spent uh, almost a decade there. So I've invested a lot in both of those towns, <laughs> <So> <laughs> financially from and both. otherwise. So yeah. So again, I want a, I want a good game, but I see the merits of both of those fan sets as I've spent so much time in both places.
0: And if you're cooking dinner to impress, what are you making?
1: Oh, I'm not a very impressive cooker, but uh, I'm the Sunday brunch guy. So. I think after church. I think my wife tells me how wonderful it is, but it's just because she wants me to cook one day out of the week. <laughs> so um, I usually have a, um, I usually put together, oftentimes some leftovers of the week, but um, you know, venison sausages, hash browns, eggs, nothing too difficult. But um, yeah, I'm the Sunday brunch guy.
2: Okay, so fifty dollars. We're giving you fifty dollars to spend here in Atlantic. Where are you going? What are you buying?
1: I'm probably going to the locker. I haven't been there yet, but I've heard that you guys have a couple of pretty decent lockers around here, and I'm kind of an outdoorsman kind of guy, mm-hmm. and I like meat products and things of that nature, so mm-hmm. maybe looking for something to barbecue and see what the locker had. Yeah.
0: An oh. excellent choice.
2: Yeah, both of our lockers are fantastic. Favorite holiday?
1: Christmas Day. I'm a Christmas baby.
0: Aw. Double pretty whammy.
1: Cool. Yeah, and I'm a Catholic boy, and so... It's a uh, it's a big day. Me and baby Jesus, with right? You and baby
0: Jesus. <laughs> He's your birthday boy. He gets huh? uh, he gets boy. all
1: the he gets all the good stuff, right? I get like one present for Christmas and my birthday.
2: <laughs> 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 okay, what will we never catch you doing?
1: Karaoke. I'm not going to get up on stage and try to entertain people with my singing voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we won't make you today no we yeah. won't make you today i know there's a microphone involved but there is no singing today. i got
1: some chills there when i was thinking about
0: <laughs> uh what's better the book or the movie
1: in a prior lifetime i would say the book when i had more time to read books but i've been so busy as in my medical career and uh special effects have gotten so good i've really enjoyed movies a lot but um now that i'm slowing down a little bit i'm starting to read a little bit more so we'll see that might shift again
2: any uh stupid human tricks
1: no, I don't really have anything stupid i i'm I'm not big on being stupid. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you still know all the words to a particular song maybe a a flashback
1: I might think that I do, but my wife gets a pretty big kick out of when I try to sing songs, and she'll ask me <laughs> what is it that you said out there you know and, um so I'm pretty bad at uh lyrics, I guess i uh I'm more of a, I like the beat, but uh, apparently fill in words that aren't actually part of the song. So,
0: <laughs> Some of those funny misheard lyrics then. Yeah, yes. so that's
1: probably yeah. another reason why I'm not doing karaoke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, high school and childhood nickname?
1: Rhino. I don't know why. Rein, you know, Reinhardt. Reinhard. But um, it was easier when they're yelling at me on the athletic field, so mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. stuck. Yep. Could, could be worse.
2: <laughs> it could be, it absolutely. <laughs> Next or dream travel destination?
1: I'm going to take my father, who's getting older, and my brother and my sister, my younger brother and sister, and we're going to go to Alaska. I have a buddy who has a 65 foot boat up there, and you know, fishing and doing the Alaska adventure thing a little bit. So, gonna maybe do that this summer. That'll Should be, so be awesome
0: cool. hmm Great experience to have. Yeah, to especially if dad together. can't do it yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. know a little bit about your career and your background. And I always like to start with why medicine?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a great question. Um, uh, my dad always wanted to be a doctor. He had me when he was 19 and went into construction. And I think he always pushed me for an interest in, in sciences and I had an aptitude for it. When I was finishing up Iowa State, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, when I was evaluating those Things I I knew that being a doctor was something that I had the work ethic to do, and I'm not a big gambling type of guy. I probably would have done great in business, but that seems so much more uncertain. It was sort of something that I knew was a great field, a noble field. A, you know, would be a you know good for my family, and um, and that I could suck it up and get through the training required. And so I kind of chose that path more intellectually speaking. I think at the time.
2: Then even more in depth. So why E N T slash head and neck surgery.
1: I did a lot of teaching in medical school and in, through residency and I had a, I have an academic appointment in Iowa City that I did a lot of teaching. And one of the things that I came to find is that early in your medical career in, in medical school, people sort of figure out one of two things. They're gonna go into the primary medical field or into a surgical field. That seems to be the first sort of, you know, fork in the road. And I knew fairly early on, I wanted to do something surgical along those lines. Then it sort of becomes, okay, you're going to do general surgical or one of the subspecialties, you know? And I, I thought again, you know, I wanted to have a family and I didn't want to live in the hospital and be on call all the time and be rounding and lots of sick people who may or may not get better. And so I kind of that was my vision of what general surgery was right or wrong or otherwise. And so I decided I'm going to be a surgical subspecialist. And then I just thought that ENT had a complex anatomy, um, you know, real, real intricate, um, difficult anatomy that would, you know, keep me entertained and, and intellectually focused. And it could see little kids to old people, to cancer, to plastic surgery, to, I mean, this really diverse field that I just wouldn't get bored in plus, you know, People usually get better, not a lot of them in the hospital all the time. And so again, for me, kind of a intellectual choice of what I thought would be the best long-term decision for my particular skill set.
0: So really thinking about that work-life balance and finding mm-hmm. something that you knew was going to work for you and for having a family and yeah, um, exactly. long-term and keep you interested intellectually too. So Yeah. And becoming an ENT, can you talk to us a little bit about um, some of the education and training you've had and your work yep. experience too?
1: You know, learned a lot of hard work from my dad. Um, I did a lot of construction. That's how I paid for college. I paid, for, I, I didn't really have a lot of opportunity to go anywhere other than Iowa, Iowa city for medical school. Cause I just couldn't afford anything else. Medical school is four years after residency or after my uh, medical school years. And that's when I decided I wanted to do ENT. Then you do a year of internship, which I did in Des Moines at Iowa Methodist, uh, which is like a general surgical year. And then, and then you have to do four years of uh, residency in your head and neck surgery training stuff and I did that I did that in Iowa City I was married at that time my wife and I thought oh gosh we're we've outgrown Iowa <laughs> you know <laughs> I met her she was living in Chicagoland area and I thought that'd be fun you know we should you know so we interviewed um, 17 residency programs across the nation and it was the first time I ever looked outside of Iowa for my training or education but I, I did really well in medical school, and so it opened the doors for me to do other things possibly. And so, gosh, I, I, I went like Harvard and UCLA and, mm-hmm. and all the fancy Vanderbilt and Michigan, and I just looked everywhere. And I ended, I ended up in Iowa City, you know. And, um, and <laughs> so I it was thought,
0: 17 interviews, uh, and, you, and you still were like, uh, I know.
1: Well. I, I, I didn't know how good I had it there. You know, at the time, that was the number one ENT program in the nation. And I also knew it, it was also possibly one of the most difficult they had some pretty tough instructors there. And so, but they also said that they knew me and they liked me and they would take me if I stayed there. And so I thought, you know, how bad can I do to be in the best program in the country? Again, I thought I can suck it up and get through this amount of effort to get through it, but it was pretty difficult.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you find yourself staying in Iowa with the most rigorous program. And I, I, I know you don't like to brag, but you ended up graduating top of your class. Yep. And, yep. and so you've had this really distinguished career so far. I mean, you know, yep. you, you've practiced in Des Moines for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'd like to ask, you know, you've been in Des Moines and, you know, have had a prestigious career. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're here. The, yeah, I mean, I mean the 10 minutes the you've been talking
1: to me, you know how um, thoughtful I am about how I think about mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. And so when we finished my ENT program, I, I did graduate number one in my class. And again, we thought we'd outgrown Iowa and so we looked back to when we were dating my wife when she lived in like lincoln park wrigleyville going to cubs games and you know back when we were young and fun and um so i found the number one practice in that area and i just called the head guy out of the blue and said i'm coming to town and he's <laughs> like crap
2: you know and hi- uh-huh, hired sure. me
1: hired me on the spot yeah so we went there for four years and then we decided that you know having a family in in the suburbs of chicago isn't as quite as exciting as being um, young and single in the summers of right. Chicago yeah. and that we missed family and we missed education in Iowa and we missed the the people of Iowa and the values here and so we moved back to Des Moines area where both our families were from in 2000 and I've had a great career there you know to be honest with you extremely great career there and I'm really still in the throws in my career. But I think bet- with between COVID and other things, it caused me the first time in my life to kind of hit the pause button and again, survey my surroundings and say, you know what, from the standpoint of my family, my personal life, I'd rather slow down a little bit, focus some of my attentions outside of medicine. And my good friend, Matt Wersh, who's a you know household name in this area, and I went to medical school with Matt. I think we were on a ski trip together and Matt's like, Rhino, you need to come to Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> And so I started looking at it, and, um, and coming out here as a little satellite clinic initially, I really started liking it, and so I've kind of made a leap of faith to come out this way. So, so far it's been great.
0: It's Kids anti Month, so we'd like to talk to you in particular about some kids' issues. So we'll just start with, what are the common reasons that you see kiddos?
1: Yeah, I think that probably the number one thing people think about are, you know, ear infections and throat and tonsil things. And and certainly, you know, the younger kids, like the toddler, preschool, you know, it's a lot of ear tubes and ear infection problems. The grade school kids, it's a lot more of the tonsil and adenoid things and strep throats and all of that. And that encompasses the variety of the things I do, probably the vast majority that are in surgery. We see lots of kids for other things, allergies, snoring, sleep apnea, lumps and bumps, lymph nodes you know, cysts, other weird little things that are in the head and neck area that encompass kind of the hodgepodge of other stuff.
2: So kids in surgery, that can be a little scary, you know, especially I'm a mama at heart. So tell us a little bit about that experience. How do you help parents and kids cope with that? And then, you know, kind of start to finish. What does that process look like?
1: We talk with them about what that looks like when we're we're talking about them in their office appointment. and, And obviously they get some counseling from the surgical teams and stuff here too, you know, I think the hardest thing is it's just a, you know, for kids, they don't really know what's going on. It's just kind of a disruption of their normal routine, which throws them for a loop a little bit. They don't get to eat or drink anything after midnight. And and they're not exactly sure why mom's not sharing some, you know, some <laughs> right. w- whatever with them. But, you know, I think the fears are usually like the whole fear of the unknown and anesthesia and all that. And I try to alleviate those concerns on telling moms that, look, you know, it's far riskier for you to drive to and from the hospital than it is for anything that we're doing there that day. It doesn't make sense in your heart, but, you know, maybe your brain can reconcile that. And mm-hmm. the reality is these young kids are some of the healthiest people that are coming through the hospital, and they, they do remarkably well. I'm usually more worried about them as a physician, you know, operatively and going home and recovery and things than I am the day of surgery is nerve-wracking, as that day is. But, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you have two ORs here, and your staff does a, a great job. It's not like Methodist where there's 24 ORs, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, like the Iowa State Fair down there, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's a little bit easier to get that personal touch, you know, and for Mm -hmm. them to, you know, feel like they have some time to feel like they're oriented and, and getting the answers they need to their questions.
0: I should ask too, do you have um, an age limit for how young you'll do surgery? Is there, is there like an age range that we don't do here?
1: Yeah. I, I asked your anesthesia team about that and they're pretty much open to whatever I think is reasonable. It's been my experience that generally we don't like to do procedures on children under the age of six months. And by that, I mean, you know, like ear tubes and things of that nature. And, and, and it's rare for kids under six months to need ear tubes, But um, I think that, you know, we're going to probably develop a few new things here with my coming and try to up the game a bit and do some things here that we've never done before. But I think pushing some of those envelopes aren't on my to-do list, you know. So generally, we don't do tubes under the age of six months, in my opinion, and we don't do tonsils and adenoids under the age of two years and and those are just kind of, kind of set in stone, general surgery, outpatient surgery kind of things. There's got to be some extenuating circumstances for that. And those kids have higher complication rates and should potentially be done in a different facility with other monitoring and things like that.
0: So as a mom and just as a parent, um, what are some things that I should be aware of beyond just an ear infection or maybe just ear infection? What are those red flags that maybe I need to look for as a parent where it would be then appropriate to seek care um, from you?
1: Yeah, I know. I have people ask me that sometimes, and I I guess that's why I went to medical school, right? But it's it's difficult. (laughs) The head and neck area is very complicated. There's a lot of overlap. I think moms have a good gestalt or intuition when something's not right with their kid. But, you know, common things happen commonly. You have an ear infection or sinus infection or whatever. But, you know, if your kid's temp's going out of control or they're not acting right or whatever, I mean, you can get complications from these infections that can spread to other areas or things. And whether it's your eye or your brain or your this or that. And so I think moms are pretty intuitive that, hey, this isn't just a regular ear infection or, or whatever. But I can't say that there's a top three things that I would say, hey, look out for this. You know, I would say that, you know, one of the things we commonly run into with the tonsil kids is a kind of a tonsillitis gone bad, and they'll get an abscess around one of their tonsils, and they're just not getting better, and that sort of is like a the red flag there is it just is like one side is painful, and all of a sudden their voice is getting really kind of pressured, kind of, oh, oh, you know, because so much swelling and stuff in there, and so... That's something when I talked to a mom and they said, yeah, he just tonsillitis, but now what? that one side is just killing him. His voice sounds funny. It's like, oh, no, we might have a tonsil abscess, and that needs attention.
2: What are some things parents should have on hand at home or some of your tried and true tips?
1: Yeah, you know, despite the band-aids and thermometer trick, you know, that everybody has to see what's going on is swimmers here, common condition, you know, can sometimes be remedied with rubbing alcohol or white vinegar. That can sting sometimes, and you certainly don't want to use that in a kid who has ear tubes or a hole in their eardrum. That's mm-hmm. a contraindication for that because it hurts so much. But but that can be something that can work to help with a swimmer's ear. Or even just after swimming, a lot of people will put some rubbing alcohol in kids' ears to dry it out as a preventative. That's kind of the active ingredient in those swimmer's aid drops that they sell for 8 bucks a bottle. <laughs> You know, nosebleeds, you can stop with uh, Afrin usually. It's a vasoconstricting or a decongestant nasal spray. They make a milder strength depending on the age of the kid. But that's something when parents call me after hours and they can't get their nosebleed to stop, we'll advise them to use some of that before they go into the ER. And sometimes that can be quite helpful. But there aren't a lot of other things I can think of off the top of my head.
0: What about ear pain? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, are there other ways, you know, I mean, besides your Tylenol and ibuprofen, et cetera, like, I know I always give my kids, like, um, a hot washcloth or, like, one mm-hmm. of those little rice bags, like, anything like that? Do you get asked that question? Ever? I do.
1: You know, the question that I would get on ear pain is, like, you know, my grandpa used to blow smoke in my ear and stuff oh, like that.
0: Oh, and really? To, sure, we, I've heard that. We used to hear a lot yeah. of that.
1: Usually you hear that from people who are in their 30s and 40s, uh-huh. that their, their grandpa blew smoke in their ear. I can't say that... Um, that might qualify as a stupid human trick. I don't know. But, uh, but no, there really isn't. You know, The other weird thing about ear pain in the head and neck, again, that complicated anatomy, is that you can have nerves from your throat that give you referred pain into your mm-hmm. ear or from mm-hmm. a tooth, and you're sitting there with an ice pack on your ear, and it's actually coming from your you know, your tonsil, you know. And so I'm all for symptomatic cares for kids if it makes them feel better to have a humidifier or an ice pack on their throat or a warm pack on their ear. But in reality, kind of depends on where that problem is.
0: Good to know. Good to know. What about adolescents and teens? Um, You know, I don't think about adolescents as teens as coming in for tubes or Mm -hmm. maybe not tonsils and adenoids as much. Um, But maybe they do. So what are particular issues are you seeing in those older kids?
1: I see a lot of moms who and not just moms, but a lot of times it's moms that are bringing their teens in because they're not sure that they're hearing correctly. <laughs> you know, they're just not <laughs> listening, or, or is this uh-huh. because, that, you know, they had a prior history of ear tubes. And we do sometimes find some underdiagnosed hearing losses in some of these kids or holes in their eardrum, you know, resulting from lots of ear infections or things. Um, we also are still dealing with a few lagging tonsil issues and tonsil and adenoid issues in those kids. And, and then also sneaking into a little bit of the development of allergies and allergic conditions and that sort of a thing. But, but, yeah, there's kind of a hodgepodge of that in between the pediatric years and, and then what we see in the adult years. But, um, yeah, a lot of ears and hearing things usually.
2: Let's briefly talk about adult ENT issues and what are some reasons adults might come to see you.
1: Yeah, so I think um, there's a lot more sinus stuff that the adults come see us for. That seems to be one of their big things, you know, and whether it's they don't breathe well through their nose or we're talking about deviated septums or their sinus conditions or their allergies, that's a real common one. Um, adults are also coming in for a variety of things where that's where we're seeing more of lumps and bumps and lesions and tumors and growths and whether it be saliva glands or other places, you know, they're worried about throat cancer or their voice or, you know, and a lot more hearing and it gets, it gets really diverse in the adult population. You know, the older it's more just, you know, earwax and grandma can't hear, (laughs) you know, and things, but yeah, there's, there's quite a bit in the adult population, quite a bit more diversity.
0: Mm -hmm. We never asked you last time about Q-tips. How does the ENT feel about Q-tips? Yeah. And and ear candling. I'm sure you've seen that one before, too.
1: Right. Yeah, we could ask about that. You know, we see a lot of Q-tip-related injuries, and so I think it's pretty easy for most ENTs to say, yeah, don't use Q-tips and that sort of a thing. I mean, as far as being able to extract wax from your ear, they probably don't do that good of a job. And they have a tendency to maybe push more down in there. Some people get pretty aggressive with them, too, and irritate their ear canal and cause outer ear infections and things of that nature. So I tell people, you know, if you're going to need to get your ears cleaned out, you're going to need to get them cleaned out, whether you use a Q-tip or not. So Q-tip probably doesn't make that much difference for people. That being said, my wife uses one like every day.
0: Like, <laughs> she'll look at it when she does it
1: and smile at me, you know, knowing that I'm uh-huh. just going to think that's adorable. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. But uh, I would say candling that you asked me about, that was a kind of a...
0: It was a trend there for a while, it? Wasn't was, it was.
1: It actually came out clear back when I was like in residency, I think. And we were very intrigued by it. So we kind of did a little mini study on it. I couldn't believe a patient brought them in and I said, so you shove this in your ear and you light it on fire, <laughs> you know? And so we were burning them inside their ear and then one that we just were holding in the air and they both had the same amount of wax in them, you yeah. know? So, so then I think they kind of debunked that, but then I think I saw some later publications where they say that it does something else to, I don't know, re-equilibrate something. I don't know what it would be.
0: Yeah. Not, not a lot of good uh, medical evidence there to say that it's we did see pork. some
1: people with some burns, you know. Oh gosh uh, from the yeah. whatever. So I'm not so sure that the benefits outweigh the risks, but I, yeah. I'm certainly one of those guys that have enough gray hairs that I don't know everything. I know what I don't know, but I don't think that it helps with wax.
0: There we go. Not something so. you're regularly using at home yourself. <laughs> no, I would
1: I would love nothing more to never clean earwax out again. So if it worked I'd tell everybody to do it. <laughs> Just go down and get the candle yep. down there yep. at Just, uh, the Five and Dime you store. Uh, you yep.
0: sec. Yep. yep. Head down to Bonas. There you go. <laughs> Funny. So Dr. Reinhart at Cass Health, you're here at the AMC Surgery Clinic. So tell us a little bit about your schedule and what you do there.
1: Yeah. So right now I'm working uh, Mondays and Tuesdays. Predominantly that's clinic. About every other Monday is an OR day, depending on the number of cases that we have. And... um Right now, they have me loaned out on Thursdays to go to Clark County Hospital. That's just getting started, and we'll see how that goes. It's kind of a a volume thing, I think, as far as adding time, depending on how busy I'm getting and and how that's going to play out. But, yeah, but right now, two days a week, they do know how to get a hold of me in between times, I found.
0: That's good. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Do you have, you know, something that you just love? Do you have a particular passion within ENT work?
1: You know, having a career of 20 years or whatever that's changed dramatically for me over time when i trained in iowa city head and neck they were a big head and neck cancer surgery program so some of the big huge head and neck cancer cases and the big reconstructive cases and to take someone and to try to cure them of cancer and do these gigantic cases with really intricate anatomy that really that was really fulfilling to me for a long time um the, there's a point in time in every head and neck surgeon's life where that quits becoming so interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. And then, then I got more interested in really detailed ear surgeries and uh, the anatomy of the, the temporal bone and the mastoid bone. And we do some complicated drilling procedures and ear reconstruction and eardrum replacement type thing. It's just really neat anatomy. I really enjoyed that for a long time. We're going to start being able to do a little bit more of those things here over time. Maybe not to that whole level, but, you know, some really cool ear surgeries. Now I'd say probably I really enjoy just a little more of the bread and buttery stuff. You know, I've had the ability to do this long enough that I can see I just saw two people the other day and, you know, ear tubes are about the easiest thing that I do, but a mom came in and she was practically in tears. She said their kid started walking the afternoon that I put her tubes in on their kid, you know, and another mom said her kids started talking for the first time the, the day that we put the tubes in, you know, and although I didn't do much, it just, that's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal to a parent. I mean, that's something you write down in the book, you know. Oh,
0: you remember that moment forever. Uh,
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, exactly. And the fact that it happened, you know, that day made him realize that this was a significant health thing, even though it wasn't that big of a thing, really. You know, so I enjoy being part of that in people's lives. But fun surgery now for me, probably be sinus surgery. I think that's pretty cool stuff. Need anatomy, cool new tools. We can do it more minimalistically, you know, people are always shocked when I tell them that I'm not, you know, breaking their nose and shoving splints up in there and thinking something that, you know, Grandpa Joe told them from the fifties, you know, right? <laughs> that, yeah. you, you know, that, that that's come a long ways and, and that, you know, it makes a difference. So yeah, I'm just happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. I've worked in a lot of hospitals. I, I like your hospital. I think I told you before that I think you guys have a great culture here. I think that one of the things that, Makes me be good is being surrounded by staff that are really helpful and want to be here and want to make a difference. I'm only as good as the least common denominator. I used to think I was Superman back in the day when I was young and and full of whatever and vinegar and you know and <laughs> that I was in control of everything. I realized over time how much of a difference my staff makes and all those ancillary people along the way for the actual product. And I I think you guys had the ability to. I really believe you had the ability to do great things here because your facility is great and the culture is really good. And so I'm happy to, to mesh into that. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today and, uh, we're glad you're here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Thanks for spending time with us on this episode of the Cass health podcast. For more information about Dr. Reinhardt, visit us online at casshealth.org.